Well, welcome to Rise Church. My name is Jason, the executive pastor here at the church, and we want to, again, welcome you if you're watching online or joining us here in person uh, for our finale of uh, week four, the dog days of summer. We have a special treat for you. A couple times a year we, do, we have uh, done this, uh, that, and we invite some of our leaders to share uh, a little bit with you from uh, a scripture. And what we did this week is what we're doing is we, we actually asked them to find a red letter verse, which means it's a, it's a verse that Jesus spoke uh, in many versions of the Bible. You'll see the, them are in, these verses are in red, and that just simply means that Jesus spoke these verses. And so uh, we are doing a little bit of a, a message here when we're going to invite, we've invited our leaders to come and share with you. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we always encourage you to check us out three times. Uh, you you uh, will be able to hear our pastor share next week, and so we always invite you to come back, try again uh, three times, whether you're joining us here in person or online. Well, our first leader that we have is Miss Robin. Robin uh, helps lead in our worship team. She's a part of our worship ministry here, and she is just has a sweet spirit about her. And I know that her message today, uh, what she will be sharing will be a blessing to you. So let's welcome Robin as she comes. Thank you. Good morning. It's such an honor to be able to share with you this morning, and I thank the RISE leadership for giving me this opportunity and today, what I'd like for us to do is just to take a closer look at our friends. We all know who our friends are, don't we? Or do we? Many, if not all of us, have at one point in our life been betrayed by someone that we were close to or someone that we confided in. And it could have been a friend. It could have been a co-worker. Maybe it was a family member or even a spouse. Betrayal hurts, and it disappoints us. So how are we supposed to respond to those who betray us? A lot of times we ignore them, we shut them out of our life, or we give them a piece of our mind. We unfriend them on Facebook. We avoid them when we see them in public. We talk bad about them. And we even harbor anger and bitterness in our hearts toward them. But how should we respond to them? Let's take a look at how Jesus responded to betrayal in Matthew chapter 26, verse 47 through 50. And I just want to share a thought from this passage. Now, just before these verses, Jesus had been in the garden praying with three of his disciples all night. Of course, the disciples, they fell asleep, and Jesus was saddened that they couldn't stay awake long enough to pray, especially knowing what he was getting ready to face. So as he's talking with the disciples, we pick up the story in verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, to get a little background, earlier in chapter 26, Jesus had already shared the Passover supper with his 12 disciples, and he had told them, one of you will betray me. Of course, they're looking around at each other thinking, who's going to betray you, Jesus? Is it me? And when Judas asked Jesus, is it I? Jesus said, you have said it. So Jesus is here in the garden. He's been praying. He's had that garden moment like Pastor Aaron preached about this past Easter. 
And Jesus knew that his purpose was to come and to die for our sins. So that garden moment prepared him for what was to come next. So when he saw Judas coming, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He already knew it. But how did Jesus respond to Judas in that moment of betrayal? He didn't lash out at him. He didn't try to run away and avoid him. He didn't call him names, and he didn't even accuse him. What he said is found in verse 50. Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. Now, did you catch that? Jesus called Judas friend. Is that what we call those who betray us? We can learn something in this passage, and that's the fact that those people who drive you to your knees, who cause you to cry out to God and to draw closer to him and to his purpose and destiny for your life, those are our friends. Or maybe it's a situation or an event that takes place in your life. You possibly lose your job and you have to move across country and take your family and find work and it just disrupts your life plans and takes your life in a different direction. Those events and situations that position us closer to God's purpose for us. Maybe it's closer to a church that you can be involved in and that you can serve and be an influence Possibly it's closer to new friends that will be a better influence in your life and that will encourage your walk with God. Those events, those situations, they are also our friends. So, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to continue to have close relationships with people that betray us. And it doesn't mean that we have to celebrate devastating life changes. But we can look at them in a different light, not as an enemy, but as a friend. That one word, friend, carries a weight of meaning. So Jesus, he knew that his plan, what his purpose was. He was to come and to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And Judas's actions just propelled him closer to that purpose. So we need to ask ourselves this question. What events or what people in our lives do we need to recognize as our friend? That person that we view as an enemy because they betrayed us, could they actually be the friend that made us cry out to God and draw closer to him? Or that event that disrupted your life plans, could that be the event that just propelled you closer to God's fulfillment for your life? I want to leave you with a challenge today. To look through a different lens And recognize the friend that is hidden in the hurts and the pains and the disappointments and detours of our lives. Thank you, Robin, for that. Uh, Obviously, such a good, such a good verse there of Jesus calling what we would look at as an enemy. He called Judas a friend. Wow. So at this time, uh, next up we have Antonio. Antonio helps lead our youth ministry. He is a blessing to that. He's always finding uh, other opportunities to be a blessing to our church also and to work hard and to serve. He just has a heart for serving. And he has a great word from you today from God's Word. So let's welcome Antonio as he comes. Hello, everybody. 
Hope everybody had a wonderful 4th of July. I know we did. Um, but I'm going to talk to you about some guy named Charles Blondin. Uh, he was in the 1800s. Uh, what he started doing, what he did was he was a tightroper. Uh, and many of y'all don't know what a tightroper is. is one that they put the wire down and they walk across it. So how he would practice was he, had, he lived by the lake. So he would put the rope out there and he would walk on it. He says the best days is when it was windy, when it was super windy, the water was splashing up, he would fall, it was just a couple feet, so it was really amazing. So eventually, he got really good at it, so he went to Niagara Falls. He started doing it at Niagara Falls, not, many, not much of a big crowd at, at first. So he started doing it, he got the, what is it, the long pole, walking across, and then he, he started doing it blindfold, you know, walking across. More people started coming, like, yes, you know, this is amazing. Uh, he even cooked an omelet. You can go on Google and look it up, Charles Blondet, and he literally has like a skillet. He cooks an omelet. He eats it on there. So, I mean, his crowds are big. People are cheering and everything. Even has, he walks across with a wheelbarrow. He remembers him walking across with a wheelbarrow, and he says that the people are cheering like, yes, yes, like, come on, I want to see you do it. Walk 50 times. A lot of times, I just want to see you do it. People are cheering, people are cheering. He's like, yeah, how many of y'all think I could do this? They're like, yeah, you can do it, you can do it. He's like, all right, but who wants to get in the wheelbarrow next? And I'll push you across and, and back. And it was silent. Nobody. He says every time he said that, it was always silent. I mean, I, I don't blame the people. I would have not gotten on there. But it, it's crazy how we could trust from afar many times. But when, when it's in the moment, it's very difficult to do. You know, a couple months ago, we're, many of us were like, yes, I'll, I'll trust you, God. I'll, I'll do anything for you. But this big tragedy hit us, and we're like, nope, you know, let, let's take a step back. Sometimes in our marriages, like, well, it, this is happening in that person's marriage. You know, I, I would trust God, but when it happens in, in our marriage, it's just like, God, give me my moment. Let, let me work on this by myself. Let me do this. You know, with my kids, with, with our communities, with, with the schools for, for our kids, it's just like, you know what, do, do we really trust God? So we're going to relate to a story we could relate. So it's the disciples. I'll give you a little bit of context. It's found in John 21. So the disciples have, uh, Jesus has already died on the cross. He has resurrected. He has already appeared to them. Um, he disappears. I don't know why he disappears. Uh, he just disappears again. So the disciples decide to go fishing. So they're fishing, and they haven't caught nothing. Uh, a man tells them on the thing, hey, we'll read it. So. It's found in John 21, 6. I'll read a little bit ahead, and then we'll read 6. So it says, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. 6. And then they said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because of, there were so many fish in it. I think it's so amazing. They did this without hesitation. They threw the net on the right side without hesitation they just threw it They're like okay this man's telling us like really like some man on the shore doesn't even know where the fish are at he's telling us where to throw it and we're just going to throw it and they do this and shortly after it says that they recognize it's jesus peter jumps off the boat and he swims towards them 100 yards embraces them and, and just just loves them uh, but he was part of the ones who threw the net if you read it, it's pretty cool three years before this same situation same happening i think jesus is on the boat with peter and he tells them, hey, throw the, throw the net on the right side. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I think in the Bible, it only shows a short moment. I think they argued for quite a bit. I mean, I would have argued with, with Jesus like, like, no, I've been fishing all night. You're just a carpenter. Like, I'm not about to throw this net. I'm tired. I want to go home. I haven't caught nothing. I mean, you're telling me what to do. Like, no, I'm going home. 
But he tells him, throw this. So eventually he throws it. But it's crazy because from that moment on, he, he got to know Jesus' voice. He walked with them. He knew. He saw the healings. He saw the miracles. He saw all these wonderful things Jesus did. And when it came down to that moment, he threw it. It didn't matter whose voice. He remembers, I heard this voice three years ago, and I saw all these happening. So if somebody tells me now, throw that net, I'm always going to throw it. So it comes back to 2020 for us. We think, oh, is this, is this the same God, that, the same one? Yes, it is. You know, many times, yes, it is scary to throw our nets on the, on the right-hand right side, just, but it's worth it to throw it. We're always going to get fish. Uh, I didn't share this with the first service, but if, if, a couple scriptures later, they all get to the campfire, and Jesus has fish with them. And he tells them, hey, uh, give, me, give me some of your fish. And I'm like, why? Why would Jesus say that if he already has fish with them? I think Jesus kind of showed off. And it, it's amazing because it doesn't matter. Like, even if they wouldn't caught no fish, Jesus is saying, I still got you. I still have this fish here. Even if you wouldn't have caught nothing, but you trusted me, you got the fish. But just letting you know, even if you don't catch, catch nothing, I still have the fish right here for you. You know, I still, I'm always going to provide for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never, you're always going to be here with me. I'm always going to walk alongside you. I'm always going to carry you. So uh, I leave you with this last point. Just when you wake up in the morning, it's very simple. Just tell God, I will trust you, God. That's it. I will trust you. Wake up in the morning, say, I will trust you, God. When you're having an angry moment, kids, I know I got two kids and yes. So I will trust you, God, in this moment. But thank you. Thank you, Antonio. I will trust you, God. Wow, that is a great, great advice for us to continue to trust Jesus and to cast our nets out when he tells us to cast our nets out. Be obedient. Obedience and trust go hand in hand. Speaking of obedience, man, uh, Ben is our next speaker, Ben Cross. He's over our Rise Kids team, and he is a blessing. He heard the voice of God and obeyed the voice of God to come down here to move to San Antonio to be a part of what God was doing here, moved him and his wife Leah, and they're a blessing also uh, to our church. And so let's give a round of applause to Ben as he comes and shares with us. Thank you, Pastor Jason. So I serve uh, back in kids, and I might be the only person that believes this, but I believe that kids are great. Now, I know they can be a little bit out of control sometimes. They can be a little loud. They can be a little crazy and disobedient. But at the end of the day, I believe kids are great. A little while ago, I was with my family, and we are playing Frisbee out in the yard. And my nephew, he is the right age where he can hurt you. Okay, he can hurt. And I was standing right next to him, and I told him, to not throw the Frisbee to me, okay? We were too close. He's going to hurt me, right? And I, I bet you can kind of tell where the story's going. He starts winding that thing up, and he throws it, and it hits me straight in the jaw, and it hurts. I'm yelling at him, I'm so upset with him, telling him it wasn't funny that I'm mad at him. I'm inside to go see what kind of damage he did to this. Now, he knew he messed up. He started crying. He felt horrible what he did to me because I'm his favorite uncle. That's right. I'm his favorite uncle. He just felt horrible. So when I came back to him and we started talking about it, he started to ask forgiveness because he felt so bad. 
and I, we hugged it out because that's what you do when uh, you're, you're asked for forgiveness. You just hug it out sometimes. We start hugging out. I felt his pain. And I told him I was sorry for yelling at him. And we told each other that we loved each other. And all was good. Kids are great. But they're not great because they always make the right decisions. Greatness doesn't come when you make the right decisions all the time. We have this conversation about greatness all the time, especially in sports. Top 10 this, top 5 this, top 3 quarterbacks. We even have an acronym for it, greatest of all time, the GOAT. You know, Jesus actually tells us how you can be the greatest of all time. How you can have greatness in your life. He says that in Luke 9:46, the disciples are talking amongst themselves about who it will be the greatest amongst them. Jesus, hear, hearing them and overhearing them and knowing their hearts, he grabs a child, puts him by his side, and he addresses them like this. In verse 48, it says, uh, he says this, anyone who welcomes a little child like this welcomes me on, welcomes me on their behalf or my behalf. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Now the disciples had an issue right there. They were dealing with pride. They were dealing with all these things. They were dealing uh, uh, because they were part of one of the greatest ministries of all time. Actually, the greatest ministry of all time. Jesus was performing miracles. People's lives were being changed for so, for the better, right? And the disciples were a part of that. They were witnessing that. So they wanted to figure out who would be the greatest amongst them, right? Kids at that time were not looked at with high esteem. See, greatness, what Jesus was t telling them is greatness comes when you actually look at yourself as not the greatest. And kids, during that time, were not looked at with high esteem. And we can probably make that same parallel to today. I'm not going to go to a kid and ask them to do my taxes because I don't want to end up being audited by the IRS, right? You know, I expect kids to be learning and growing. That's what's happening, right? That's what I expect of them. I would, it would be ridiculous of me to put a cookie jar right on the top counter and not expect a child to try and sneak one, right? So kids at that time were dealing with the same thing. You can actually substitute that for anybody that you look at as the least. That could be the neighbor across the street that you are annoyed with. That could be the coworker that you're constantly fighting with. That could be the person that you might have a different view from on social media. That hasn't happened before. God is telling us to not put ourselves over them, but to actually put ourselves underneath. To position ourselves underneath. Not to put our will on others, our desires on others, our ambitions on others, but to actually put it below And it lifts them up. So here's a step you can take to get some greatness today right here. Just one step. One thing you can do is to know the what. What are you putting first over somebody else? What are you putting first over what God wants you to put first? 
Figure it out. What desires, what ambitions? Is your wealth first? Is this first? Is this first? What are you putting first that God wants you to put underneath instead? And if you're tired of losing, if you're tired of losing to, to obtain greatness, then just maybe you're putting your desires, what you want first, instead of what God wants first in your life. Greatness comes when you are looked at as the least. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben, for sharing there. What we call the greatest is that the least in God's kingdom. One last communicator leader that we have, and that is Tavi. And Tavi and her husband, Miles, they came uh, one week before we even opened as a church. And uh, they couldn't come the week we were opening. They got a postcard. They came and checked it out. And they have been a part of our family ever since. And uh, I just can't imagine a time that they weren't a part of the family of what God's doing here. And uh, Tavi helps out in... Uh, Rice Kids also, and she has a great word for you today. So let's give her a round of applause as she comes. Well, thank you, thank you. And I'm just excited to be up here speaking to all of you. It is an honor, as Robin mentioned, and a privilege to be up here speaking to all of you and to those of you at home online, watching online. When I was approached to speak for today's message, I knew right away the topic that I wanted to speak on. The red letters, or the Jesus word, as I call it, that really stuck out to me, that I really resonated with, was what Jesus says about forgiveness. Now, you can see, you can find passages on forgiveness throughout the Bible. Jesus even teaches on it in many places, in Matthew, Luke, all of them. You can see it. He's teaching on it in the Bible. One of the places, and then again, if it's in there more than two or three times, you know, open those eyes, prick up those ears, because you, you need to focus on this. It's important. One of the places you can find it, again, is in Matthew. And I know Pastor Jason taught on this last week when he was teach, or speaking on, you know, Matthew. When Jesus is teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, what we know is the Lord's Prayer. He includes forgiveness, you know, forgive Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or more simply, you know, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, we can also see it in Luke 6.37, where he says, Jesus teaches, you know, forgive and you will be forgiven. And those things, they're, those statements, those teachings, they're pretty straightforward, you know, period, forgive, done deal. It's almost, I would dare say, easy when you read it, like, oh, forgive. All right, I got that. Um, but easier said than done, right? <laughs> At least for me. Um, what I struggled with, I knew the what. The red letters, again, clear as day, Jesus calls us to forgive. What I struggled with was how. How do you really walk that out? Do I just say, I forgive you, we're good, or like, how does, what does that look like? How do I walk that out? Um, especially, it was especially hard for me because the person that I needed to forgive was my mother. Like, how do you walk out forgiveness with somebody that you're also called to honor? What does that look like? Um, I know Pastor Aaron has um, taught many messages on this. Two specifically are his Crazy Maker series back in the beginning of Rise Church and even the Imperfect Family, where he sets up guidelines, um, parameters, if you will, for what forgiveness can look like. The how. How can you walk this out? Some of those guidelines include um, setting boundaries, 
exercising wisdom. You know, he defined what forgiveness could what forgiveness was, you know, letting us know, reminding us, informing us that forgiveness doesn't mean things go back to the way they don't always mean things go back to the way that they were. But I was still struggling with how how does this how do I walk this out? How does this apply to me? With those guidelines, which are great, they're phenomenal guidelines, I ran with it. I was like, okay, setting boundaries. I can set boundaries. I'm going to put some distance there. Um, using wisdom, I, I, you know, we're called to honor our parent, our, our, you know, our mother and father. I'm going to be wise, and I'm not going to say anything. I just won't talk because we all know if you don't have anything nice to say, what? Don't say anything at all. So I stopped talking. There's distance. That's my boundary. There's not talking. You know, that's me being me being wise. Um, but what I was doing in forgiving was I was really developing a, resent, a resentment. I was growing more and more resentful. And that forgiveness, again, that I thought I was giving didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel legitimate. It didn't feel right. And I still struggled. It wasn't until recently, uh, more recently, when I reached out and Pastor Jason said, you know, try praying praying for them, and I was directed towards, I was pointed to Romans 12, 14, where we're called to bless those who persecute us, and that's Paul echoing what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 44, or even in Luke. He says, bless, pray for those who persecute you. Bless them, you know, pray that God would bless them, and I'm like, okay, why was that so important? That right there was the how that I needed, that I was looking for. Um, What it did when I was called, or when we were called, when I was informed to pray that God would bless them, it really changed my mindset. It changes your mindset, not to excuse any of the wrongs, but it changes your mindset and then changes your heart to have a heart that's truly able to forgive. It allows you to grow. So the things that I want to close with, that I want to leave you with was what Jesus calls to calls us to forgive. Again, clear as day. Why? Because if you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus, then we're called to forgive because we are because we are forgiven. And how? One step that you can do today in walking out forgiveness is praying that God would bless them. Pray for that person, that pers- that person or that situation that's persecuted you. Because it allows you to grow your mindset and grow your heart that's having a heart that's truly able to forgive.